Welcome to Coinology, the podcast. You ain't getting no money if you're constantly worried about what everybody else got to say. If you constantly got your eyes on what everybody else doing, you ain't getting no money. When it comes down to closing the deal, I get it done. Everything one. Welcome to Coinology, the podcast. Hey, 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 hey. Welcome to another episode of Coinology. And I want to welcome and introduce you guys to our guest for today. We have none other than Dr. Nicole Garner-Scott. Welcome her to the studio, y'all. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you were able to make it. I am. I'm excited about today. Good, good. I'm glad you're excited. <laughs> so you actually live in Miami right now, right? I do. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you, but you, you were sharing with me before we came on air that you have offices in two locations, I right? Do. I do. I, I'm born and raised in Atlanta. Okay. Um, one of the few natives that you'll meet. Mm-hmm. And um, through the pandemic, my husband's job relocated us to Florida. Okay. But I still have my core business in Atlanta, so I'm back and forth. I know that mm. was hard, though, right? Um, You know, I, I reframe what hard is in my mm. adult years. Okay. So, okay. So uh, when, when I was younger, I used to say, oh, that's hard, that's hard. But at this age, I'm, if it's doable, we get it done. Well, Miami isn't a bad place to go, though. That's true. I that's mean, I love true. Miami. That's very so true. So that's a good place to be. Mm-hmm. So, Nicole, I know most people know you are now the money maven, right? <laughs> but you. before then, mm-hmm. you also had a long stint in publicity, yeah, it did. right? Mm-hmm. And then prior to that, I know you probably had some other very successful things. So let's mm-hmm. go all the way back okay. to Nicole, right? Okay. Born and raised in Atlanta. What, mm-hmm. what part of Atlanta? Uh, College Park. College Park. Okay. <laughs> yes, All right. Very, very Atlanta. All uh, right. And then, so, two-parent household. Two-parent household. Um, and uh, I have younger brothers. And really grew up in a dynamic where, I like to say it's where Atlanta was changing. It was the the beauty of Atlanta where it was still fresh and new. And, you know, my parents were part of that that move or that structure where people were like, where can black people come and do well? Mm-hmm. And where's the opportunity? So it was during the 80s, it was like that rush of mm-hmm. individuals relocating to Atlanta to try to do better for their families and everything. And so my uh, parents were part of that. And the way I grew up is College Park, Georgia. And I would still say, even though I didn't grow up from a wealthy family, mm-hmm that I was exposed to seeing black excellence from an early age. Mm -hmm. And I think that completely changed the trajectory of my life. Mm -hmm. Just what I felt like I was, the possibilities I have for myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I never never looked at being black as a disadvantage or something to be ashamed of or anything of that nature. I always thought it was my my God-given advantage Mm -hmm. to that and was very proud of that from young so um it wasn't until I really got I I tell people I grew up in an HBCU basically Mm -hmm. like Atlanta was like HBCU from kindergarten Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. and so when I got uh once I got to college and moved around and realized that wasn't a common experience for people then I then I realized I was more blessed to have that experience when you're in it it's like it's so normalized you don't even know it but it was the time that I really started to expand outside of that that I realized that Atlanta has a very unique 
ability if you're if you're black or if you're black mm-hmm. so let me ask you this was it always a given that you were going to go off to college was that something that was a known factor or that was how yeah that was very much what my parents subscribed to okay. so both of them went to college and it was very much all roads lead to college but when i was from young i was like i don't want to go work for someone mm-hmm. and that is what college meant to me then now you have all these entrepreneurial programs and everything else that going to college means a million different things to a million different people. But at that time, college was synonymous with going to work for someone. Mm -hmm. And so I knew I was going to do college, but I was like, I'm not going into it with how can I get a job? Mm -hmm. So, But you know, that's amazing though, mm -hmm. Nicole, that you were thinking about that so early because I know that when I was in college, I just, I knew I wanted to do something big. I Mm -hmm. wanted to do something great. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't necessarily know, even though I started my own business when I was Mm -hmm. nine years old selling lemonade, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've had so many businesses since then. I don't know. I think I thought I was going to go off to college and then I was going to come out and get this grandiose executive role and a big corporate building Uh carrying a briefcase and I did do that uh-huh. right but actually thinking that I was going to go off and actually have my own I don't you have to really see that mm-hmm. so did you see someone in I, your- I definitely did that's why I said it. Atlanta it was I don't know if it was the timing it was the year it was the energy of the city but it was this burgeoning um entrepreneurial mm-hmm flow that was happening amongst everyone so and you were born and raised in yeah the, yeah because Atlanta is so different it is it is completely different it's so different I um, mean it's a it's a a whole new city mm-hmm. uh, at this point but then it was you I was in high school I was doing things for that's when so so deaf was really big mm-hmm. I was interning with So So Deaf and I was doing things at the radio station it was just a lot of these exposures that I had And in that, I was seeing entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And it was a conversation that was starting to become normalized, at least in like in this generation. Wow. But it was still met with opposition because, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone older was like, well, think about getting a real job. Yeah, get a job with some benefits. You know, what's the real (laughs) game plan here? Uh This is just a phase Nicole is going through and. You know, some of those different things. But, um, yeah, I went to college knowing I was going to start my own business. So what did you study in college? Um, journalism. Okay. With a concentration in PR. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I minored in economics. So definitely had the duality of where I am in life right now. Mm-hmm. But it was because I needed to know how to run a business. Like, mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted to work for myself. But when I got to college, I was like, I don't know how to run a business. hmm and I need to understand more business nature. And so that was where I did a lot on that side, on the finance side and business structure side. Mm-hmm. Um, but the joy I got was from journalism and PR and, and all of that. Um, it was because I love talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I was like, well, how do I get paid for, for talking <laughs> and being a connector and throwing events? And, you know, those mm-hmm. were things that I knew I loved back then. Um, and it just all kind of merged it's funny how things 
start to merge in life and how and it, that, make, it starts mm-hmm. to make sense and it makes sense so you went on and you pledged undergrad right um grad oh you pledged grad, grad, grad. okay uh-huh. okay uh-huh. so then you you graduate from college uh-huh. all right and then where do you go next what's next once you graduate um so the the internship i had my senior year of college hired me um well basically contracted me and they were my first client when I graduated Mm -hmm. so it was my last few weeks of college and everybody was getting ready for graduation and I was trying to figure out how to get an EIN and how to um, set up my business account wow so you knew that already in college well I can't say I knew it as much as the individuals who were just placed in my life and they were so basically I had this account Mm -hmm. where it was um the, their client was Delta. It was a large agency. Their client was Delta. Mm-hmm. And the program was to introduce young black boys to aviation. Okay. And so it was a small program to them. But to me, it was everything. Mm-hmm. I was like, introducing um, young black boys to aviation. like, And I was like, what's the maximum of kids that can come through this program? And they were like, well, the budget is unlimited for this. We can get a lot. And it involved them going out to like the aviation Smithsonian and getting a chance to um uh, get back in experience on planes and all these different things and I was like this is when were these boys get this chance like mm-hmm. how many black pilots did you know back then and right you know those different things so I ended up getting like a thousand kids through that program just I was just so passionate about it and it helped them get some awards and some other things and so they were like well we're still not gonna do anything with mm-hmm. this so we'll just hire you out and so because of that, they had to walk me through all the paperwork I needed to be hired out. So it was someone who cared enough in their accounts receivable department to be like, you need it. These are the, these are the um, documents we need from you and we need it in the next seven days. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, okay, well, great. No problem. And then <laughs> Googling, how do you get an EIN? How do you get, you know, those different things? See, but, see, you lucky because a lot of people, let's say a decade before that, didn't have Google. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So yeah. you were also born during a time where there was the available information right. that you can come out. So these kids today primarily... The, they have chat GPT. Yeah, the world is at your <laughs> oyster, right? The world is at your oyster. I'm like, woo, if we would have had chat GPT, yes. then. I, also, I wonder, I also think about that too, like when essays and... Oh my goodness. How in the world would the, the teachers know if they actually did their own work? I'm quite sure the, um, the security and parameters are going to catch up somewhat because... You know, we're all so slick at this point. So I'm quite sure that'll catch up with it. But I'm but there's every generation gets a a large advantage. And Mm -hmm. Google and and that information was was for me. And then this generation now is chat 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 GPT. And my son, he's five years old, and I'm like, who knows what's gonna be here? It's gonna be amazing. Yeah. So Garner Circle, was Mm -hmm. that when it was created? It was. Okay. Mm -hmm. I know when I moved to Atlanta, the Garner Circle was one of the agencies that you always heard a lot about. You guys mm-hmm. did a lot of activations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You didn't primarily represent talent, talent as much. but you did mm-hmm. more so activations, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys used to represent um, the brown three brown girls, yes, right? Yes, right. Uh-huh. And if, for those who don't know who the three brown girls were, uh, one was Ebony Electra. Yes. Second was Kim Porter, mm-hmm. um, Diddy's late. Mm-hmm. Um, 
ex mother of his children, mother of and children, mm-hmm. and then who was the third? Nicole Cook Johnson. Okay, Nicole. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know that was a fun time because I know they were running Atlanta, right? Yeah. And you were right beside them, right? I was, and um, I mean, it, it, once again, I just feel like. Some of it was my grind. Well, mm-hmm. a good amount of it was my grind, but also was being in the right timing of the city and the right mm-hmm. um, what everybody wanted really bad. Mm-hmm. And so that's when Justin's restaurant, that was Diddy's restaurant, yep. was at its full peak. And, you know, the three of them, their personalities were so unique. They, I mean, you couldn't ask for more diversity within three individuals and that was I say they were at the beginning of the influencer movement because mm-hmm. so, that's really what yeah, they you're were right. they were mm-hmm. they were influencers that's right right and but it was before we gave it a name yeah we didn't have social media then and right? also when when influencers were very organic they mm-hmm. were just cool Girl. chicks yeah, yeah they were like they were what you would call like socialites and those different things but mm-hmm. they understood you could still monetize this and you can produce signature items to go along with the monetization so they were ahead of all of that and i mean and and beautiful women Mm -hmm. and so they were in the prime of social media is meeting the beginning of influencers where um the blogs and the photographers you know people it was was sandra rose and all of those different things is sandra still around I'm not sure. I, I mean, I looked at to check her site. It's still there. Okay. okay. I don't know if she puts the level of energy she used mm-hmm. to put into it. But, um, yeah, it was just, it was, you could really curate the story very authentically back mm-hmm. then. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, you guys were running <coughs> the show, mm-hmm. right? And the Garner Circle, you guys started working with some of the larger brands that kept getting larger and mm-hmm. larger and larger. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like you were at your pinnacle. You had mm-hmm. multiple offices, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you had an office here, North Carolina. Um, and, well, so physical offices here and in Charlotte. Charlotte, okay. Um, but we started doing things all over. All so, over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have like account reps in LA and New York mm-hmm. and those types of things. It just and so my question to you is: It seems like at the height of it all, mm-hmm. you take a pivot, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So what what was the determining factor for you to say, you know what, I'm going to walk away from this? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put it all into investing, you know, yep. teaching people the mm. importance of financial management. It was a few things. Uh, one, I built that first company completely on my name. Mm-hmm. Um, I would never suggest that for a lot of individuals now because as you want to scale, uh, it becomes harder when people only think of you as that, right? So it was like... I couldn't. I built a jail for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so and, let's make sure they understand. So mm-hmm. when you say you built a soul in your name, the name of your business was the Garner Circle, right? And so when people heard the Garner Circle, they wanted me in every meeting. They wanted you. They mm-hmm. didn't want correct. Okay. Yeah, they wanted me in every meeting. Mm-hmm. They wanted me at every uh, decision holding factor. At every, um, I, I basically just made handcuffs for myself mm-hmm. in regards to that. Mm-hmm. So that was one. Second off, I had, because I started in business so young, I had underdeveloped the personal side of my life. I had, I was definitely the 
old school Diddy mentality. You sleep when you die, hustle, hustle, mm-hmm. such and such. And the personal side of my life, marriage, children, that was not happening. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I have to get into an industry that's more conducive to what I've received for myself as a whole, mm-hmm. not just career-wise. So, um, so I had to take that moment and realize that. And then I would definitely say too, where the um, <coughs> where the where the industry was going to me. Okay. Um, you know, once you get paid a certain amount, mm-hmm. and you don't have to contest that, or it's not being um, battled against you, you're used to it. And I had gotten to a space where I knew what was happening in the publicity world. And it was like, either you want to keep up with what's going on or this is the time to pivot. Mm-hmm. And that's when social media started taking some of the budgets. That's when <coughs> social media ads started taking some of the budgets. That's where, from a PR standpoint, you had to be able to do multiple different things. Mm-hmm. And so either you kept up with that or it was time to pivot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that you said that's really <coughs> important is that mm-hmm. you realized that you were also ready for a family. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Now, you could have worked at the family situation out with PR because, mm-hmm. you know, I have a family mm-hmm. as well. But it is challenging. Right. It is. And I tell people all the time, Nicole, there's no such thing as work-life balance. Right. Something's going to suffer. <coughs> it will. And one thing I, I can tell, and then one thing is particular about your brand, you made it point on that family was number one for you Mm -hmm. I remember when you were you guys gotten engaged and it was a countdown Mm -hmm. right to the wedding and (coughs) it was probably one of the events of the year right it was it was you were featured was it in essence Mm -hmm. and and so forth and it was it, it seemed from the outside looking in it was a beautiful 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 union did you know that did you plan for this is a time for me to get married or did you your husband no okay not at all i had um once again <clears throat> and i totally believe you can do pr and run a family okay it was the way that i was doing pr i didn't create <clears throat> boundaries okay with the business mm-hmm. i had started the business so young that I was the person you can call on at any time to get it done. Mm-hmm. Now, I demanded my worth, but it was <clears throat> I didn't I didn't stop the business at five p.m. Mm-hmm. I was always on a plane. I was always available to my clients. It was the way that I built it. Okay. Okay. So in hindsight, it was just it was my first business. I built it to where I loved it in my twenties. I loved being on the go. Mm-hmm. Like put me on a plane. Push me somewhere. I don't care where it is. Like, I I loved it. I never thought of what would this look like in my 30s and my 40s. So it was really a a big part of that, of how I built that business. Mm -hmm. Not not even so much the industry. It was how I cultivated what I built. Um, I had got to a space where because of all those boundaries that I did not put intentionality into – uh, the relationship side of my life. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so with that, it was just dating was rough, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and it was a lot going on. So with that piece, um, I had pretty much gotten to a point where I was giving up. Like I was like, you know what, God, if you want me to be single, mm-hmm. 
just make that peace on my heart. Mm-hmm. So you had, you had just basically resolved to the fact yeah. that this is going to be my life. Yeah. And it was just, you know, it was, that's when Atlanta was turning really crazy too. Mm-hmm. So the guys that I was meeting and whatnot, I was just like, this is, uh, I don't know. I don't know if anybody believes in marriage anymore. Mm-hmm. That was kind mm-hmm. of, <laughs> I was like, maybe I was born in the wrong time period, or, <laughs> you know, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that's when I met him. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started off really just with a strong friendship. <clears throat> and my husband's name is Artis. Okay. And we started off with a, a strong friendship. And from there, because of that, and probably because I was like in a space where I had peace on this might not happen, mm-hmm. I didn't plan that part. I didn't say, okay, okay this must happen by this. Or this. And even when it came time to having children, fertility journey was interesting, too. You know, I had dealt with fibroids and some other things. Mm -hmm. So so really, the the whole love side and building a family, I, you know, when they say, tell God your plans and he laughs, I think God was hooping and hollering because I was (laughs) like, here we go. This is when I want this to happen. This is when I want that to happen. And none of it went that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I just surrender to the process you know and then um artist is a corporate guy right yeah, he is. so how did he handle because you your life is an open book it you're, is you're a publicist mm-hmm. well and by nature mm-hmm. and so a lot of your love affair was publicized mm-hmm. was that something that was easy for him to engage in being because usually corporate yeah they keep you kind of private right they you can't do. really share a lot yeah and he's he's extremely corporate mm-hmm. and even if he wasn't corporate by nature social media is not his thing mm-hmm. <coughs> um you know he's just he's a low-key private guy mm-hmm. um and never, so is that that's not a challenge for you guys not really because in his truest sense I'm very low key too. Like, mm-hmm. <clears throat> what's out about me is what I feel comfortable being out about me. But you, I mean, I'm not an oversharer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty. If you in in normal life, I'm very. I'm more similar to him than probably you. I mean, my career has me live out loud, but it's it's a very small factor of me. I would have to mm-hmm. agree. I think you do a very good job of sharing what you want to share. Mm-hmm. Meaning when we were doing the research in preparation for our interviews, mm-hmm. there was very little personal information mm-hmm. about Nicole out mm-hmm. there. It was a lot of business curated stuff. business mm-hmm. information, mm-hmm. right? And I said, you know what? She does <clears throat> post a lot. She does have a lot of information, but it's very orchestrated. Mm-hmm. She's very sure about what she's sharing, which mm-hmm. is what people need to do. Because mm-hmm. social media is not, it was not created just to go out there and bear your whole soul. Right. And if for some people, if that's what they need, that's what they need. Mm-hmm. I have always had a very small group of good friends mm-hmm. and family that I could fulfill that need in that group. Okay. And I mean, that was the way I grew up, you know, it was mm-hmm. very much like, this is, this is who you share. This is who you're giving that side of yourself to. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I hope that I still come across very genuine in what I do share, mm-hmm. but um, 
you know, I mental health is very serious to me. I don't I can't put stuff out that's going to trigger me the next day. That's right. <laughs> and right. that's going to and and because I started so young, I was still growing up in all of this. You mentioned so, mental health. Have <clears throat> you ever had any battles with mental health? Um I was n- n- nothing to the point of like full on depression mm-hmm. or whatnot, but I mean just being a woman in business, it takes its its toll on you. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I would definitely say after having my son, figuring out how do I want to re-enter back into this. There's been moments where it's like I'm very much protective of my mental space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm very much aware. I have a very deep spiritual journey Okay, because of being able to navigate through mm-hmm. this. It, mm-hmm. I think this life requires so much it, it it pulls you to capacity in a lot of different spaces mm-hmm. when you decide to go into business for yourself like you're you're really having to look at yourself in the mirror more than average like in corporate you can you can blame so many other things like mm-hmm. they didn't give me this opportunity this budget wasn't there this person didn't set me up for success the technology wasn't there they didn't put me in this training program you can blame everything when you decide to go into your business yourself, you can only blame yourself. That's right. That's right. And, and you, you have to also mm-hmm. hear some of the, you know, <clears throat> what people say about you that right. you know just isn't true. Right, right. Right? Because right. there's perceptions that people will have and mm-hmm. you're like, that's not me though. Right, right, right. So those are some very difficult things for strong. It's a lot of truths that yeah. you're you're staring yourself in the mirror a lot. When you decide to take this journey Mm -hmm. and this is in the mirror with no makeup on, right? Like Mm -hmm. your, your bank account is you with no makeup on. Mm -hmm. You can make it look great on social, but did you really make money? Is this a profitable thing that you're doing? Does your staff like you? Does your team members like you? Do your clients, do you enjoy working with who you're working with? What bad habits are standing in your way of getting to where you want to go? It's just a lot of, um, parts that impact you so much in your mind. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's definitely, I probably am not an oversharer because that's that's not healthy for me, mm-hmm. you know? But I mean, t- to each his own. Social media could be saving their life, you know? Could be, but mm-hmm. I think more so than not, Nicole, that there's so many people out here that are depressed because of social media. I mean, to keep definitely, up. especially uh-huh. younger generations mm-hmm. because you're, you're, quantity and quality of time is so generated by that Mm -hmm. so you're looking at life through a filter you're looking at life through non-stop um dopamines Mm -hmm. you never take that time off like with my son sometimes I keep him very active but every so often I'll be like today you're gonna be bored Mm-hmm. And in his mind, he's like, oh, what are we doing? I'm going to be bored. And I'm like, you got to, you have to learn to be bored sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because if you're if you're going 100 miles per hour and it's always something that has to fulfill you and you can never fulfill yourself with your own thoughts or just being still, you're going to chase, you're going to chase everything that comes your way, whether it's women, whether it's money, whether it's extracurricular activities, whatever that is, you're never going to be okay with just being like, I could sit down for a moment. And just be. And just be. But, Nicole, how did you figure that out? Because I'm sure if you started in your early 20s, mm-hmm. going, 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 mm-hmm. going, going, how did you figure out 
the essence of that because something majorly had to happen Mm -hmm. to just say, I'm okay with just silence. So it appears I'm going, going, going. I'm, I grew up in, so like my grandmother's from Dominican Republic. Mm -hmm. And if you go to her house, you gonna be quiet. (laughs) We, we not cutting on the TV all the time. You're not gonna be on your phone. I grew up that way. So it appears that I'm going, going, going. But when I, when I step away, I heavily step away. That's always been me. Mm -hmm. Um, I got more intentional about it in my thirties. And I would definitely say it became like, you know, from all of that going, I gained like a lot of weight. I had some different things happen where I was like, okay, you have to be very intentional on what you want your life to look like mm-hmm. and what you, you know, how much time goes past. Um, and even in those times of being in like my 20s, I missed a lot of key moments for like some of my really good friends because it's, it's like, yeah, I got to, you know, go work. I have to go do this. And um, I got to my 30s and I was like, I don't want I don't want that to be how my life looks. And Mm -hmm. what's to say another decade won't go by and I'm missing first birthdays and, you know, other moments that matter to people. Plus, it really matters that the people who say they love me show up for me during those times. Mm -hmm. And the only way people show up for you during those times is when you show up for them like they're. Like true friendships are reciprocal in that type of way. Mm -hmm. And they'll give you a pass. Everybody give you a pass. Like Mm -hmm. you can't make everything. And especially as you get older, it's like, I can't make everything. Mm -hmm. But when I really need you there, you know, if it's, if it's my wedding and this, we hoping this is a one time thing, Mm -hmm. then I want you to be there for that. And I want to be there for you in that. Mm -hmm. So, um, just really getting intentional about that. I had some really good mentors too. Mm -hmm. Um, some that showed me what it looks like when you don't take care of yourself and you're not intentional. I saw a lot of women. I can't even remember growing up and seeing that many black women really enjoy life. Mm. Like that's not a, that wasn't a common thing. Now Mm -hmm. I saw wealth and I saw great businesses and I saw big, beautiful houses and all those different things. But were they happy? Yeah. And I will always ask that. Mm -hmm. That was like... Towards the end of my twenties, as soon as I would meet you, and you would t- you would tell me your I do this and your accolades and everything else, and I'd be like, "Are you happy?" Mm-hmm. That was like a, a run of day, but like, here goes Nicole asking how happy we are. <laughs> but it was a thing because I I was like, "Who is happy? Mm-hmm. Who around me is like really happy?" But do you think that's a black woman thing, or do you think that that is just I'm not sure. Women, I think women. I think women overall, and I can't say that so. Black women was my bubble. Okay. So that was that was the, you know, and not to say I don't work with all different types of women all the time, mm-hmm. but I mean to get really granular, to get where the mask is removed, to get very open. It was it was you know, once again I was in Atlanta, so black women was my bubble for mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So that's where I pulled a lot of that insight from. But just understanding what happiness looked like for me and how I could create that. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I noticed is that some of the most beautiful, well-accomplished, as you mentioned before, on social media, when you do get to talk to them, and it's a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of... And, you know, I I don't think that people realize that that's not what life is about. Mm -hmm. It's not meant Mm -hmm. to live 
unhappy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and miserable. That's not what life is about. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we fast forward and now we start your uh, financial business, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. How did you determine that that was the angle? So once again, it was always a sub angle from the beginning. It okay. just wasn't my visible side. Um, the deeper I got, especially in the PR space, is where individuals started asking me for business consultation um, and really talking to me about their business as a whole. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and what I started to realize is before we could even do these large campaigns and everything else, especially for small business owners, I was like, "There's your financial structure is so awry. Like it's... Mm-hmm. You can't sustain what you're coming to me for. Mm-hmm. And there has to be a bigger conversation on first you have to get the business model right and the financial model right before we can do all the bells and whistles. And people would come to me, the small business, that's what really made me go into working with a lot of corporations because it wasn't so dire too. I felt like a lot of small businesses were coming to me to save them. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, my, I'm about to close. If I don't get this amount going and I don't get this happening, then my whole dream will go. And I was like, that's unfair for you to put that much pressure. The biggest thing I hate hearing is, what's my ROI? Mm-hmm. You can't look at just ROI right. for a successful PR campaign. Right, yeah, right. They put that huge amount of and it's in. And it's, yeah, it was, I couldn't bear that from a lot of small businesses. Mm-hmm. Like, here is my... Last hurrah, Nicole. This is my chunk of money to get. And if I get this article in essence, it should save me. And it's like, that is, that's so unfair. Mm-hmm. right? There's a whole cycle that has to, to synonymously be working with each other. Mm-hmm. Your sales has to be working with your marketing. Your PR has to be working with your social. The product development has to be working with research. It's, all these pieces have to be working for you to really have a, a dynamic business. Mm-hmm. So to come and, and hail Mary me, I was like, I don't wanna I don't wanna be on your last stop before that. But once I started getting so many of those requests, I was like, well there's a bigger part of the pie that you haven't addressed. The business is not profitable. Mm-hmm. And the business model is not sustainable. And what really is the plan here? And so I started just kind of helping some personal friends, clients, et cetera, in getting that piece. And I was referring out to other individuals that can help them along the way. And really during the pandemic is where it really spoke to me, where I was like, I could really create more impact during my time here on this earth. Mm -hmm. And what can that, what's naturally coming to me that I can then bring that back? And um, that's when I really started taking the time. I always had a love of finance and really took the time to go very deep into licensing, which is a is which is why you don't see a lot of black women in finance. It is a journey. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is definitely a journey. It is not easy. Um, And, you know, took the time to get a lot of those licenses and really have myself operating at a very high level Mm -hmm. to really help individuals. And it just it feels good. It's not it's not surface level work that I feel like I'm doing. I feel like when I sit down and I meet with someone, there's generational change that's happening mm-hmm. from them. So when you initially started your new business, mm-hmm. did you immediately close the doors to the Garner Circle mm-hmm. or did you transition? 
transition and the Garner Circle still has, yeah, it it's still the, has operation. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. okay. So you're running both entities Correct. right now. Okay, okay, um, great. But with the with and and in and a few others too. Mm-hmm. I have I have quiet businesses too. Um, I always will believe in multiple streams of revenue. That's right. Um, but this is just my more of my passion work. This is where it gets my attention. This is what gets my time because I, it feels very soul fulfilling mm-hmm. in regards to that. And I think mm-hmm. you've done a great job of transitioning your brand um, to being known as that finance go-to person. Mm-hmm. So if Thank you me. were to, if someone were to say, okay, how would I utilize Nicole for my business or my structure? Mm-hmm. How what, what would they utilize your agency for? Yeah, so um, with what I do in the advisory space is, is I would say it's threefold. Mm-hmm. So one, I'm really sitting down and helping individuals from a personal standpoint and from a business standpoint protect their wealth. So we're sitting down and we're going through a lot of the variations on what are the vulnerabilities that your that your wealth faces. And that could be through protection tools from your insurance planning to your long-term planning, those different things, making sure that you have all of that so that when things transpire in your life, how are you using these as wealth building tools? Um, I would say the second area is really from investment structure. So we're we're managing portfolios in the market. We have an entire national team that we're sitting down, we're constructing your portfolio, we're helping you build your portfolio. What I find in that area is a lot of individuals only know very risky sides of investment, right? Mm-hmm. And that level of risk is not suitable for everyone. So if you have a huge real estate portfolio, it's excellent, you know. I think real estate is, is a great asset mm-hmm. in a portfolio, but it's risky, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, depending on what's your structure. Are you do you flip? Do you buy and hold? Whatever that structure might be. But what are other areas that your money is growing in that if your uh, renter never pays you, you're still your money's still, still growing. Okay. Let me ask you this because mm-hmm. you mentioned something that made me think about something. Cardi B just made an announcement last yeah, week. Did you did. see that? Yeah. And Cardi said, so it's probably gonna be dated by the time you guys see this video, mm-hmm. but I think it's still at this point we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. Cardi said she would much rather put her finances into buying Birkin bags mm-hmm. than purchasing real estate, right? So she so I so cause I read all the comments on it. She said she'd rather have a gift of a Birkin than a gift of real estate. Okay. So I will I will give her the, the the credit in regards to that. But yes, so one she knows I'm quite sure she knows how to reposition her her Birkins as far as being assets and how to put them back into the market cuz you when it comes to like like Jordans and and art and you know, just a lot of Chanel. those different yeah, you can mm-hmm. reposition those if you have the right individuals around you who know how to Put that back in the market. But you let's not be fooled mm-hmm. by this. To reposition a Birkin or a Chanel, you basically never use the bag. That and also you have someone who knows you have a specialty item. So let's say a Rolex, right? Mm-hmm. You have a specialty Rolex and you know the value of this because it's so rare. And you can, you know, if you hold on to it for 10 years, it's going to build its, its 
equity in mm-hmm. that, right? That's not the same as just going out and getting any Rolex. Or let's mm-hmm. not fool people to think that going to get one of those bust down Rolexes, right? Because <laughs> right. they don't realize that when they go and get these Rolexes and <laughs> diamonds all right. over it, right. you're actually devaluing right. the asset, right. right? So it's it's not really a space that most people are equipped to to step into, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So so that's where probably a lot of the feedback is. You telling people to get Birkins and she probably has a buyer. Her scenario is way different than the average person. Mm-hmm. The average person probably will will lose on, you know, mm-hmm. their Birkins. Mm-hmm. Also, too, when it comes to real estate, she's in the landlord position, which a lot of people tend to get into mm-hmm. where you're getting. I'm, I know this is Cardi B. She has project managers, but she probably is very close to her investments where they're still calling her and letting her know. She's still got to pay. Yeah, what's going on. Project manager, yeah, it's Yes, this right. flooded and this happened. Because mm-hmm. it seems like every need... time I'm about to go on vacation, something happens at a rental. Yeah. Car. I'm like, good grief. Yeah, and so you have to ask yourself, mm-hmm. like, is this enjoyable to you? Mm-hmm. Is it not? Mm-hmm. It's one way of increasing of increasing um, wealth over time, but it it's a high level of risk. Right. It's it's a lot of variables that are dependent on that. Let me ask you this, too, mm-hmm. Nicole. I think one of the biggest misconceptions that America has taught us is go and be a homeowner. Mm-hmm. And that is the best asset to have. Mm-hmm. OK, so I bought my very first home when I was 21 years mm-hmm. old. But I often question because if you think about how much money you put into owning a home, your repairs on your home, do you actually really truly make money off of having a home? Right? And and all, that's that's all the different variables as well. What was the interest rate? What was your purchase price? You know, it's a lot of different things transpiring mm-hmm. on that. How much equity does the home have in it? Um, are you prepared to sell it at its peak equity time? It, it's, it's a lot of nuances that are not discussed enough. But is equity really just a facade? Equity doesn't, it doesn't materialize until you sell. And then is it really equity if it's just your money? Mm -hmm. If if I've been paying on this house Mm -hmm. month after month, every time a repair happens, I don't have a landlord. I, you know, Mm -hmm. you're paying. Mm -hmm. Is it just you just getting the money back Mm -hmm. and sometimes less than what you probably put into it? It can be for a lot of people. Yeah. It can be. Um, and it, it, it all depends on your plan, right? See, I noticed, mm-hmm. let me tell you what really woke me up. Mm-hmm. Most of the things that they told me as far as this is the American dream and this is what you're supposed to do. Everything they told me was a lie mm. to me, I feel mm-hmm. like, right? Mm-hmm. And I recognize <coughs> the lie of home ownership, even though I have always owned a home. Mm-hmm. And I think now it's just because of the mental brainwash of it all is certain things I'm just going to do because I've been told that's what you're supposed to do to be mm-hmm. a good girl, right? Mm-hmm. But I noticed that, like, for instance, let's say when Katrina happened. Mm-hmm. When Katrina happened, the people who got screwed in Katrina were the homeowners and the business owners. Mm-hmm. If you were renting, mm-hmm. you could pick your bag up and head east and mm-hmm. you didn't have any problems. The homeowners, however, were screwed. Their insurance didn't cover the loss of their homes and da 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 da. They had foreclosures on their right. You know, it just made you wonder. And if you needed to pick up and move to another place, if you were a business owner, you couldn't just easily pick up your restaurant mm-hmm. and move somewhere else, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it made me 
question everything. Like I think you should question everything. I think those are instances that you sit down and say, this is the potential risk. Mm -hmm. Am I positioned to handle this level of risk? Mm -hmm. Some of those restaurant owners got their insurance check and they moved and and that was all they needed. And it positioned them into a better space. Mm -hmm. Other individuals who were barely making bills meet, they were, I mean, they needed the next couple of weeks of money to come in to pay what they owed in the past. They were underinsured because insurance costs, mm-hmm. they crushed, they folded. Mm-hmm. But they lost if, everything. Right. But if you were well positioned for that, there's many times that people can't wait for tragedy to happen. But the average everyday African American mm-hmm. business owner, I don't think is well positioned for that. And I'm not going to say the average, but yes, there the, there is more. Mm-hmm. There's definitely more that's not well positioned. And that's when I say you have to understand how much risk you can sustain. Like you have to really look at your life and look at what you have going on in your life and say, can I take on having these four properties? If the AC unit goes out in all four properties at the same time, is that cool? I have enough income coming from somewhere else that it's nothing. It's annoying, but it, we're keeping it moving. Mm-hmm. Or does that mean that now I can't pay one of the mortgages or I can't, you know, do other things? And that's why I like to say there's safer ways to grow your money, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's there's ways that you can approach maybe the market. There's ways that you can approach other items that provide you a safer way. But it's slower and it's not as flashy and it's not as talked about on social media and those different things but it's where some individuals need to start Mm -hmm. or where they need a larger percentage of their portfolio to reside because should anything should you be one of these individuals as airbnb in your house and you catch one of these crazy squatters that won't move out and you're paying the mortgage and you can't get airbnb money coming in you're about to completely ruin everything. Mm-hmm. That means you could not have sustained that risk. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so much information. How can you build up your Airbnb portfolio? How can you Turo? How can you do all these different things without someone sitting down and saying, does this make sense for you? I'm glad you mentioned Turo because, again, one of the things that we were taught early on is that Automobiles were liabilities, yep. right? Yep. And with this whole mindset now with Turo, they're changing the mindset that automobiles are now considered assets, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on this whole Turo business and so forth? Do you think it's just a fad or what do you, what do you think about it? I think that the economy is shifting, mm-hmm. that where a lot of these things were excellent in the beginning it's got so murkied and, and muddied up that it's not providing the level of income that people saw in the in when this first initiated. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to Turo, now with the additional fees and, and whatnot, people are going back to being like, well, I might as well just go ahead and Uber. I might as well go ahead and rent a car. So you have individuals who have purchased cars just for this business model. And they were weighing everything on this business model. And the business model was maybe not long term, right? And it's the their numbers are down because of the fee structure that's transpiring. The same with, with Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Like Airbnb's CEO came on and said, We have to the fees have gotten so ridiculous that people are in droves going back into the hotel model. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you purchase a property just to do Airbnb, where does that leave you? 
-hmm. Right. And so that is where you have to really sit back and say, and stress test a lot of your ideas. Like when I sit down with a lot of clients, I say, if all hell breaks loose, are you still fine? Mm -hmm. Like if you have this additional property and let's say Airbnb bans you from the platform, let's even say Airbnb is doing great, but you've had three tenants that threw parties and the HOA association, and now you just can't even do Airbnb. Can you, does, does this property still make sense in your in your asset book mm-hmm. right now? Mm-hmm. If it does, if it's like, yeah, I could sit on a property for two years and nothing happens and then resell it and we do this and we do that, great. But if it's like one month goes without income coming in and now it's affecting you paying your mortgage or your primary home, who, who where did that thinking happen? Mm-hmm. Where did that stress test happen in the space? And it's a lot of individuals jumping into it as their one last... Hurrah. And when you have that one last chunk of money, that's not when you go after the most volatile thing that you can think of. Mm-hmm. Even though the reward where, where great risk is, is great reward. So, Nicole, but, let me ask you yeah. this. What would mm-hmm. you say is one of the biggest misconceptions or the biggest lies we were fed about financial health? Like, like I shared with you before, I believe that, you know, people were told, okay, go off, go to college, get a good job, buy a house, uh, buy real estate for a rental property, invest in your 401k, stay on your job until mm-hmm. you are 65, 70, and just sit there and wait until you die, right? Mm-hmm. What, do you th- what was the biggest misconception or lie that you think you've uncovered I would definitely say that um, it, if you look at all of our parents, it didn't work out that way for almost any of them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like they all needed extra money in their later years, mm-hmm. even though they worked their job for 40 and 50 years, even though that generation got way more sec- Social Security than what we'll ever get. Um, it didn't work out that way for most people. It didn't. But you know what you just mm-hmm. said? Social Security, mm-hmm. right? I don't even think about social security. You shouldn't. Right? You shouldn't. Right. And it'll be cute. It'll be it'll be right. you can get your nails done. Right. With, that's with that's you. it, right? It'll be cute. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean and and if you happen to be in an industry where you I mean, if you were born at a time where it still might have some substance for you, look at that as icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. But you shouldn't look at it as depending upon, not from not from our age bracket. Right, back. right. And so, um, yeah, so the biggest misconception I would say is people underestimate how expensive second half of life is. Mm, okay. And now we're at spaces where basically how this model was built was for individuals to get to 65 years old, right? Like my dad was telling me the other day that it was such a big deal to meet another black man that was over 65 because that was so rare. Mm-hmm. Like he celebrates like they, him and his group, they celebrate birthdays and all those different things mm-hmm. because it was rare. But now it's very common to see people living to 85, 90, 95. Mm-hmm. Who's paying for that? You know, and mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of us have those real conversations with ourselves. And Previous generations, people looked at it like their um, they looked at it like their um, kids were going to take care of them. Mm-hmm. But now most individuals have 
maybe one child or mm-hmm. maybe two children. Um, you would no one's. I mean, there are. I see Instagram families that have nine to ten children, but I don't. I haven't seen that normalized, mm-hmm. you know, anymore. Where you're having all these children that are going to come together as a village and take care of you. You got one. one. <laughs> you got one, <laughs> right. and, and you know, and then this generation. Um, I would say, what is it? Um, below millennials is that Generation Z? Yeah, Gen Z. Gen Z. Mm-hmm. There, as far as them getting into their wealth flow, is way later in life, right? They're not even concerned. Yeah, not even concerned, but not even. I mean, the economy has them still trying to figure it out mm-hmm. very much later on in life. You know, for we go a few generations back, our parents bought houses at 22 for mm-hmm. $50,000 and you know, those types of things. Now, those options aren't really even available. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of parents that are like still heavily taking care of their children in and, their And the question 30s. is, too, mm-hmm. like I said before, is buying a house the most, um, I guess, wise thing now for a college graduate coming out? If you're a college graduate and you're coming out, um, you're 21 years old, the average home, mm-hmm. the average like Tumblr mm-hmm. starter home is about, what, 354? Does that make sense for a twenty-one-year-old? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in most cases, it it you're not going to see it a lot in our community where it makes sense. In other communities, there is property being passed down. That's right. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, it's yeah. Of course, they have a home because there was homes that was passed down to them. Mm-hmm. There was portfolios, real estate portfolios that they just get to tap into. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would even say in many communities, there's still, in our community, there's still opportunities for that. Now, does it make sense for someone to get into too much home that they can't afford? No. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel like people are, are definitely waking up to to that. Though. I think so, too. So I think mm-hmm. when I first moved to Atlanta, it was all about... Get a home. Get a huge home. Yeah. And people would have these huge houses and no furniture. Yeah. Right? This was back, you know, how that was back in the 90s or something, right? Yeah. You get this huge house, Mm -hmm. no furniture, but they had this big house. Yeah. I think people are waking up to, do I really need all of that? Yeah. And what really makes sense? And what happens when you become house poor? Right. You know? Right. And I think that's... Think home ownership wasn't even really available to us. It's not like we've been doing this for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of trial and error happening with us because a lot of these concepts are new. Home ownership is, you know, I have individuals that sit down with me and they're like, I just determined to to break the generational curse and be the first homeowner in the family mm-hmm. or build up to have all these homes to pass down to their children. And it's like, let's think this through though. Is is a goal to pass down a home or is a goal to pass down wealth? And there's a few different ways to get to if it's wealth, there's a few mm-hmm. different ways to get there. Let's explore all those different ways. What's the most tax efficient way to get there? What is the most if your child wakes up and says, I do not want to be a landlord. I do not care about these homes. How are you still making sure they still have wealth? Well, you know, Grant Cardone, and I'm not a student of his mm-hmm. or anything, but I, I saw something going through and I was like, you know what? That was really wise because it made me think about things differently. He's mm-hmm. totally against your first 
property being your primary property. Mm -hmm. He believes that your first property should be an investment property. Mm -hmm. It should be a multi-unit property. Mm -hmm. It should be something where you are living in one of the apartments Mm -hmm. and then you rent out the other apartments and the other apartments pay for your apartment. Mm -hmm. He believes you should move like that Mm -hmm. until you have so much residual income coming in where buying a property then makes sense. Mm -hmm. But he says, otherwise, the biggest lie that America has told us is that home ownership is an asset. He Mm -hmm. said, your house is a liability until you can sell it. Mm -hmm. I, you know, just thinking of, I I just think over and over again, Nicole, about the many misconceptions and lies Mm -hmm. that have been told to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that goes back to financial literacy mm-hmm. and taking the time to really be exposed to different people with different thoughts. A lot of times I think about, had I had this knowledge at such an earlier age, mm-hmm. how many different decisions I would have made and things maybe, of that Maybe not. I always tell people, don't be hard on yourself mm-hmm. because it's not like you had generations and generations mm-hmm. of individuals telling you this. Mm-hmm. So you might have had that knowledge. It still might have, it's, you have life wisdom now mm-hmm. that makes this knowledge hit for you. Mm-hmm. You know, um, back then, who knows? I, I I feel like we get access to the answers when we're when we're in a space where we can really adhere to mm-hmm. them. So I always tell people, don't beat yourself up for 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 that part. But also, I would say too, there's a lot of cultural nuances that you might get a house because it's. A bunch of people that you need to take care of that need to be in this house. Mm-hmm. You might get a house because at, you got a house in your 20s and you're getting married in your 40s and you have this life that you need to that you feel like you need to have in place and going back to an apartment might not work for you. There's I mean, there's a lot of different things to mm-hmm. say that the Grant Cardons and the Dave Ramseys, they I feel like they it makes sense if everything lines up in this mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. But for most individuals, there's a lot of layers that you can't just say that this is the only way it can happen. The only way. For that, yeah. you know. And so um, so that's where you got to get really good at what's going on with, with you mm-hmm. in your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Nicole, what's next for you? What can we expect this multifaceted mogul? <laughs> what's next? Um, right now, just really continuing to scale my mm-hmm. financial practice. Okay. I feel like there's a segment of individuals that aren't being catered to, right? It's mm-hmm. very much, especially in our community, there's a lot of wealth and a lot of success, but they don't, but they don't have a circle of individuals that they could talk to and make higher level decisions. Um, they feel like they have to continuously find someone outside of their world to show them how to continuously build high level wealth. And then they're getting misused or um, there is pred- predators are being attracted to them, mm-hmm. you know, just a lot of those different things. And I feel like there are more individuals that look like us that are rising to the top that can handle massive wealth that's coming into mm-hmm. our communities and being built by our communities. And so um, continuing to serve in that area is very much a passion of mine. And then also, too, I just feel like when we talk about generational wealth, I want to be that individual that encourages 
you to bring your children into these conversations, you to bring your nieces and nephews into these conversations, because a big part of why wealth doesn't go past one generation for many of us is there's no knowledge transfer mm-hmm, happening. Mm-hmm. So continuing to push that that mm-hmm. narrative too. Yeah, and I, I would have to agree with that. I think sometimes we get the information and maybe we don't have someone to share it with or sometimes mm-hmm. we hold on to it mm-hmm. and want to be the only one with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we have to really question, you know, how successful are we really if we leave this earth and your children have to start from scratch. Mm-hmm. If your children have to start from scratch, you have not done your job. And that is biblically stated. Right. 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 So I think that's one of the things we have to be more conscious of as um, a community. Mm -hmm. We need to stop looking for um, GoFundMe accounts Mm -hmm. to take care of our funerals. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to stop thinking about selling plates of fish Mm -hmm. to take care of funerals. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, Nicole, life insurance is not that expensive, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So we have to take more ownership on what we choose to spend our money on and to make sure that our families, family families, Mm -hmm. are taken care of. And really understanding how to transfer wealth. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of individuals look at a lot of tools such as life insurance or 401ks or these things just at the surface level Mm -hmm. of how you've been taught how those tools work. But if you really understand how these tools can really help wealth transfer, then you would understand how to utilize them to their fullest capacity. Yes, yes, Mm -hmm. it is. And I think we have to also, one more thing I will say about our community, we tend not to trust. Yeah. And that was a challenge for me when I was first being introduced to some of these non-conventional ways Mm -hmm. of utilizing um, life insurance policies and things Mm -hmm. of that nature. I didn't trust at first. Mm-hmm. It was like, what do you mean I'm not supposed to have my money in right. a savings account? What mm-hmm. do you mean? That, yeah. Again. I, you want to see your money? You want to touch I wanna your I want to be money? able to get to it when I yeah. can get to it. Mm-hmm. But that, again, is the what I was telling you before, the misconceptions, the brainwashing. Yeah. that it's systematic. You, the systematic yeah. that if mm-hmm. you don't have money in a savings account, yeah. you are, you, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure, yeah. right? Um, but to your point, there are so many other tools and so many things. I definitely recommend that if you do not know about the power, yeah. because it's not just any insurance yeah. policy. You got to make sure you have the right one yeah. structure. You can be your own bank, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And you can you could do a lot more. Um, and the things that you would consider as a liability becomes an asset. Yeah. Because of how you purchased it. Yeah. And that is where the real financial literacy comes from. So I definitely say that every person, whether, and some people feel like, oh, I have to be super wealthy to call someone like a Nicole. Mm -hmm. You may not already be Mm -hmm. at the pinnacle, Mm -hmm. but if you're trying to figure it out, they should call. I Mm -hmm. tell everybody, certain things you need to have in your arsenal. Mm -hmm. You need to have an attorney. Mm -hmm. You need to have a financial expert. Mm -hmm. And you definitely need to have a publicist if Mm -hmm. you have something worth and an accountant. And an accountant. Mm-hmm. Definitely mm-hmm. an accountant. Y'all, I, don't, I can't forget that. Yeah. The IRS is not someone you want to play you with. You do not want to play with that. But you definitely, <laughs> I, so I definitely recommend, I know mm-hmm. I've seen Nicole. I know she's she's doing her thing. And I see that you're connected with quite a few people that I know and respect as well oh, awesome. in business. So I think that if they are looking to learn more, they definitely should reach out. And you mm-hmm. guys know, I don't do, this is not about a sales tactical mm-hmm. chronology. We typically don't even talk about mm-hmm. what, what a person does. Yep. 
Yes. Mm -hmm. But I think it's very important if you guys are tuning in to Coinology that you are taking your financials serious. Mm -hmm. You need to know what you don't know. Because yeah. what you don't know is, yeah. is, is, is that's where the hidden jewels are, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So definitely do that. And I also want to thank you guys for tuning in again with us. And we'll see you next time. Get no money. If you're constantly worried about what everybody else got to say. If you constantly got your eyes on what everybody else doing, you ain't getting no money. When it comes down to closing the deal, I get it done. Everything one. Welcome to Coinology, the podcast.